We are now approaching what? Easter. What is that? Is Easter to be found anywhere in the Bible? Yes, in the King James Version. And only in the King James Version. Acts chapter 12. Turn to it for me, please. Now, today what I'm going to be doing, I really believe that's important for us to understand our faith if we are going to be convicted or convinced about our faith to give us something to, to contend for, to stand for. You have to understand your faith. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about Easter. Because for the next two weeks, that's all you're going to be hearing, Easter. In fact, you've already started, haven't you? Sure. And many of us really don't know much about Easter. Some do, some don't. Some observe it, some don't. Some say it's pagan, so I have nothing to do with it. Some say you're foolish. Let's eat the hot cross buns. That's good. So today we are going to look at scriptures a little bit. And we are going to do theology rather than just talk theology. All right? Let's look at Acts chapter 12. Now, as you read this, I want you to understand something. That as the church, the early church expanded, it had to deal with three major threats. Persecution, heresy, and paganism. In some ways, the threat from paganism was the more subtle and more difficult to deal with. By the way, what does paganism mean? Anybody know? What does paganism mean? Any pagans in here? Nobody would say, I'm a pagan, would you? Some of others might say, yeah, I know some, but I mean, somebody who's against God. That's a good answer. Do you know the word pagan actually comes from some, it actually means people of the country. That's all. More literally, it means people of the land. More literally, it means people who worship creation. Who look to the land as a source of life. And that's why they see a re repetition of life within nature. They, uh, that's why they're called the people of the land, the people of the country. Because they see there's a period of time and everything is flourishing. And then all of a sudden everything dies. And then all of a sudden what? Comes back alive again. And they sense God, their God and source of life as being what? Creation. They look at the stars, the sun, the moon. Powerful, great lights. And they worship them as gods because they bring different Seasons, different things happen when they, when they come out. That's the root for paganism, you see. And by the way, we have a lot of neo-paganism, pagans today. You say, what is neo That's the new pagans. We have people who worship the land today. Isn't that right? We have people who believe that creation is just as important as a human being made in the image of God. They will say animals, for instance, is a part of creation. Not only trees, but animals. And so animals should have rights just as humans do. If you look at some of the ads we have here from our humane society, you will see that equating animals with people when it comes to rights. All right? That's the background for paganism. That's very important. Because, you see, the early church had to face some of these things. 
when the church first came on the scene. You see, when Gentiles converted to Christianity, they brought with them the ideas, the habits, and the custom from the pagan origins. And sometimes the church didn't know how to handle these things, how to deal with it, because these things were so entrenched. And sometimes Christians failed to think critically about the unbiblical beliefs and practices which were taken for granted in the culture of their day. And as a result, pagan thinking filtered into the church. For instance, you read the book of Corinth. You'll find Paul's emphasizing immorality. Isn't that right? Why? Because in the worship center in the temple of Diana, prostitution, male and female, was a part of religious exercises. It was brought into the church. And so some of the ideas of these new converts concerning worship and concerning uh, sexual activity were brought into the church with them. And if you read 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is dealing with these things. Now sometimes, and we're giving you a real overview here of the beginning of church history, as it were, sometimes the church was successful in dealing with them, other times they were not. They just simply allowed them to come in and made it a part of their Christian activity. In other words, sometimes the church consciously, they consciously, they deliberately reclaimed pagan practices for Christianity. In other words, they took what the pagans brought into the church as a part of their ongoing lifestyle and made it a part of the activities of the church simply to make it easier for the converts. You understand what I'm saying? This is why if you see, I look at, if you look at the title for my message today, what is it? Nobody even looked at it. That's why I asked that. I want you to look at it. See, I know. I wonder why we make these bulletins. I think we waste a lot of money on these bulletins. What is the name of the message? User-friendly. Is Easter a user-friendly activity? What does that mean? Well, user-friendly is, is a computer-related word. In other words, it refers to a program that's easy to use. You stick it in the computer... And it almost tells you how to use itself. User-friendly. No problems. It wouldn't cause you to run away from computers because it's too difficult. It's user-friendly. We have a lot of activities in the church today that are user-friendly towards the unsaved. We want to bring the unsaved in so we do what the unsaved wants us to do so you wouldn't scare them away. This isn't a new practice. This was practiced way back. And this was happening in the missionary field. I did a research paper of missionaries going to Venezuela, South America, in the early days. The church went into these tribes, and they would see these tribes worshiping idols in their caves and every place else. They wanted these people to become Christians. So what did they do? They just changed the, the idols they were worshiping and gave them another name. And once the people accepted these idols, perhaps they had an old tree there with a, 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 a coconut head or something on it. And they just removed it and they gave them a nice 
one made out of clay or whatever. And they called it John or Mary or Philip or whatever. And said, now you worship these. And so the people did it. Did it transform them? No. But they became a part of the church. You understand what I'm saying? That's user-friendly. See? And we're doing that today in many areas. But that's what happened here in this context of Easter. See, unfortunately, in many churches, in many communities, the pagan origin of these events, certain events were forgotten. And any pagan meaning was completely supplemented by Christian symbolism. In other words, same things, but different names. They baptized them into Christianity. It's like the fellow who wanted to have a, a lot of converts. Again, in the early days of the church going into South America. And the only way you could be called a convert is if you were baptized. Once you were baptized in the name of the church, you'd be a convert to the church. But he couldn't get any of the natives to be baptized. So you know what he did? Because he found out that they all wanted a white shirt. When I say shirt, I mean covering. And so the church bought thousands of white shirts and gave it to the tribal people. And guess what? They all were baptized. And they were counted as a part of the church. User-friendly church activities. You do the activities, but there's no transformation of your life whatsoever. You see? Now, sometimes it was successful. They used to use it as a missionary method of winning converts. Yeah, I know this is very difficult for you as a pagan, but listen. Just think about it this way. Here's this God you're worshiping. Well, that isn't a true God. Here is a God I want to present to you. Something like what Paul did when he was in Greece, in Athens. And they were able to use what the pagans were doing and to point them to the true God. But that was not always the case. In fact, that was probably the lesser of the case rather than the major or the majority part of it. That's the context you have to see when you come to determining Easter. Now let's look at Acts chapter 12 for a moment. Now about the time I'm going to be reading now from the New American Standard Bible. Now those of you who have the King James Bible, you might notice a difference. All right, and I want to explain that difference. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth the sands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. That's important. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quintillions of soldiers to keep him. Notice now, intending after what? Easter to bring him forth to the people. That's the King James Version. You see that word Easter? That's the Greek word meaning Passover. All right, that's the Greek word meaning Passover. Here's how the New American Standard reads that verse 4. 
When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. And that's the true, that's the true translation. Because you see, Easter wasn't even, Easter is not mentioned in the Bible at all. This is what they call a transposing of the text, a translation of the text. They took a current event and put it into the text. The word should be Passover. Because you notice it says unleavened bread. Because we will find that the Christian origin of what we call Easter is connected closely to the Passover. You see, the Pentecost, Passover, and so on. But this Acts chapter 12, there's no other translational scripture other than the King James that uses the word Easter. Now that tells you something right there. Now, please, I'm not in any way trying to demean the King James Version. I believe there's one of the greatest translations written, I think it still is. It's the most beautiful Bible you could have for reading. But just like any other translation, there are some things that need to be studied. And so the word actually there is Pascal. It means Passover. And so what we're trying to say is actually the word Easter is not really mentioned anywhere in the original text scriptures. All right? It's not mentioned anywhere in the original text of scripture. In fact, the name Easter... originated with the names of ancient goddess and God. We've got to put both of them together, not just a goddess. Now I could go through all of the names, and the many of them. The names of Aphrodite from Cyprus, referred to the same goddess. Astarte from Phoenicia, Demeter from, from uh, Egypt, as well as Hathor. Ishtar from Assyria, Kali from India, Astara from Norway. All of these names refer to this same God that had a name that was translated Easter or Astra. It was connected with the belief that this goddess had relations with another god, Attis, who had a son. Who had a son. She was known as the god of fertility. And this is where the name Easter comes from. I have a lot of other information, but I don't want to sidetrack you with that one. This is because during this time of the year, and we're going to get that in a moment, there was a celebration, a feast day for this goddess. And the pagans used to worship this goddess on this day. And so the church, seeing this, said what they would do is what they would use that same day to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In that way, they would be able to gather in all the pagan people who already was using it as a day of worship anyway. You understand what I'm saying? That's the subtlety of paganism coming into the church. But that's what actually happened. Now, when it comes to the origin of Easter for the Christian, what we call the Judeo-Christian, we'll find that the Christian celebration of what we call Easter is always linked to the Jewish celebration of the Passover, always. 
You see, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were observed by the Israelites early in each year. And the Jewish people followed the Babylonian or the Persian calendar at the time. And that calendar started each year with the spring equinox around March the 21st. That's when the year started. Why? Because that's equinox. Do you know what equinox means? What does equinox mean? The same time, length of the day, the same length of the night. And that happens around March 21st or thereabout. And for the, so for them, in this calendar, that's when life started for them. Because that's when spring starts, as far as they were concerned. But the Jewish calendar is always connected to this area. So equinox means equal night. And on that date of the year, the day and the night are approximately equal. That's why you'll always have Easter between these two dates I'm going to give you in a moment. You cannot have Easter from a, from a Christian perspective outside of these dates. The earliest being March the 21st. You cannot have Easter earlier than that. Now, that's Easter. What about Sunday? You know, we talk about Easter Sunday, right? What does Sunday mean? Where does Sunday come from? It's a sun god. It's a pagan name. Sunday is, a, Sunday is not a name that comes from God saying, on Sunday I created. Sunday is a name after a sun god. So when you put it there for Easter Sunday, you have two terms that have their origins in paganism. Now you say, does that make a difference to me as a Christian? Well, I'm going to ask you, does it? Should it? See, I'm talking about a f understanding your faith now. This is what I'm talking about. So here we come to celebrate Easter Sunday. Both Easter and Sunday have pagan origins. All right? What are we going to do with that? You see... We have a Christian worship of Jesus and pagan worship of the gods in the early days were active in the same geographical area. Christians used to celebrate the death and, res the death and resurrection of Jesus at the same time. The same time that the Christians celebrated the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, Good Friday, the resurrection day, that was the time when the pagans celebrated The goddess Easter. And so what happened was that the pagans and Christians used to actually fight about which of their gods was the true, true God. And which was the imitation God. They would actually have fights about that. Which God is true? We haven't things happening like that today, you know. But culture today. How much should culture infiltrate the church? Junkanoo. Junkanoo. Soon we're going to be asking the question, is Junkanoo just as important as the Lord's Supper? Or baptism? Now, you say no now. You just wait until the spin doctors get on all of this. 
Look at how far it has come already. How many churches already have their rush outs. And see it as a part of culture. So don't say no. I'm trying to show you that what is happening today was true from the very beginning. It's a subtle infiltration of pagan traits that we suddenly adopt to be Christian. Why? Let's talk about some of the days that are associated with it. Again, I want you to think about this now. And I hope at the end we can have some solution. I'm not going to guarantee you that, but I want you to think about it. Because I really don't believe that Christians are thinking about their faith the way they should be thinking. And therefore, we do not have the spiritual power we should be having as Christians. We're too diluted, you see. The world is sneaking. Paganism is sneaking into the church, and we are embracing it without a whimper. Lent. This was a preparation, a spiritual preparation for Easter which typically involved fasting, penance, and prayer. Do you know that was a part also? That's exactly what they did in celebration to God and the goddess of spring. Time of preparation, 40 days. We like to say 40 days is a biblical, a biblical number. That's true. But pagans used it too. And that was a period of time. The church adopted that and just put Christian terminology onto it. Ash Wednesday. Wednesday itself, the name Wednesday is derived from an Anglo-Saxon word, Woodness Dag. It means the Saxon god of war and victory. The Saxon god of war and victory, a sign of penance. But how they use it is a sign of submission to that God. Holy Week. When is the Holy Week? The week before Easter Sunday. They had celebrations for their gods and goddesses in the same way, looking forward to the main and the major celebration. Now, of course, we have a little difference in Palm Sunday. There's no reference to Palm Sunday anywhere. That seems to be entirely something from Christians. But we could go through just about every one of the events that are used. And we can see there's some pagan origin to it. Or in the sense that Christians are trying to use those same events and terms and Christianize it so they can get more people into the church. Good Friday. No one really knows how that came about. Some have surmised that it started out as God's Friday. But as time went on, one of the O's was missed out. I, I mean, another, another O was put it in, included, and became Good Friday rather than God's Friday. Why? Because they wanted to take the spiritual element out of it. You see? It became Good Friday. Like good luck, you know, not God's Friday. Now, we could go on and on, but let's look at some of the events that we, some of the things that go along with it. 
Hot cross buns. How many of you love hot cross buns? I love them, boy. That's one of the first things I do on God's Friday. <laughs> but how did it start? Did it start in the church? No. This was a part of the fertility rites for the goddess. And these little bonds were made, but the ox head or horns were put on the bonds. We've substituted the horns for what? The cross. That's why we call them hot cross bonds. Back then, it was the cow's horns bonds as a part of the pagan worship. What about the rabbits and the eggs? This is also a symbol of the goddess, the Norse goddess. That was the symbol of the goddesses, uh, her uh, as a person, the hair and the egg, and it emphasized fertility. Both the hair, the rabbit, and the egg represents fertility. And from these, we have inherited the customs of Easter egg and Easter bunny. Nowhere in scripture, nothing at all. But yet, many of you here, remember I say you honestly ask, many of you here look forward to Easter for the buns, for the bunnies, and for the eggs. And the goggle eye, right? <laughs> what about the Easter lilies? Beautiful, right? Easter lilies. Where do they come from? From scripture. No way. The so-called Easter lily has long been revered by pagans of various lands as a holy symbol associated with fertility, and especially the male. Need I say more? That became a part of their worship, and we've incorporated it. Not even, some of us not even knowing about the connections. Does that make a difference? What about Easter sunrise Sunday? How many of you attended an Easter sunrise service? Is that mentioned in scripture? Yes, it is. I know he's going to say no. Let me read it to you. Let me read it to you. Ezekiel chapter 8, verses 16 through 18. Behold, the door of the temple of Jehovah between the porch and the altar were about five and twenty men with their backs toward the temple of Jehovah and their faces toward the east, and they were worshiping the sun toward the east. Then he said to me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Is it a light thing to the house of Judah that they commit the abomination would they commit here? This worship service Sunrise, God considers what? An abomination. For you fill the land with violence and have turned again to provoke me to anger. And lo, they put the branch to their nose. Therefore, I also will deal with them in wrath. Mine eyes shall not spare, neither will I have pity. And though they cry in mine ears with a loud voice, yet will I not hear them. Hear them. Yes. Sunrise service is found in the scripture. 
but is seen as a pagan activity, worshipping the god of fertility and of life. In fact, even one of the goddesses here is mentioned in scripture. But we wouldn't go into that. You look for an episode word for Tim, Timorax, I think the name is, or Timorak in scripture. This is the same God. It goes way back to old times and just keep going on throughout history. Just repeated, the pagan worship that has infiltrated the church. What about the candles, the Easter candles? We love Easter candles, don't we? They were used in pagan worships to, again, to represent what? Birth and rebirth. See? And we could go on and on and on. And we can show you just about every event that is associated to our observing Easter today has pagan roots. The question is, does it make a difference? What do you think? Now, there's some of you who are probably not even aware of that. So when you celebrate Easter, what do you do? You celebrate what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're not even aware of this. So does that mean that because some of these things you do, like hot cross bun, eggs, lilies, that those are wrong for you? And you have no awareness of the fact that they're associated with pagan activities? What do you think? You don't want to answer. <laughs> think about it, though. But there are some who observe the feasts knowing that. Not too many here, but they do. Knowing the connections and observe it because they know the pagan connections. Now, is that right or wrong? All right. So here we are then. I've given you all of this information, and most of it you've already known. If you don't, just go on the internet. So what are you going to do with Easter? Why are you celebrating it? Is it because you have the Easter Monday off, and you can go to the sea and go shopping in Miami? You see, that's why some people have said, listen carefully now, all of this is supposed to make sense somehow. I'm not sure how, but it's supposed to make sense. That's why some people say, we look at these pagan origins of Easter and we condemn them. But yet, we observe even more pagan traits when it comes to materialism. What about Christmas? Christmas falls into the same thing here. And we worship the commercial aspect of Christmas. Getting gifts. Getting gifts. Not giving gifts too much, but getting them. <laughs> Is that worse? That greed? Focusing on that selfish aspect of the event rather than the event itself? Easter? the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what should that mean to me? Yes, I'm eating this bun, hot cross bun, and I'm enjoying it. Does that mean that that's a sin for me because it had pagan origins? Well, you know, it could. 
if you refuse to focus on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it means to you. If you only focus on the vacation and on the hot cross buns and how they taste and the goggle eyes, that could be sin for you. That could be just as much as a pagan act as the people who originated these things. So you have to ask, and I have to ask as we face these days here, what is the resurrection of, not Easter, what is the resurrection of Jesus Christ all about? Are you going to be looking at these days for some ways for your life to change? Oh yes, there is new life, but what kind of new life is it? You remember when the disciples ran to the temple on that wonderful, glorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The scriptures they said that they saw and believed. They saw and believed. This is the first testimony of the witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. John and Peter and others who saw Jesus risen from the dead. They saw and they believed. Let me ask you something. Is your faith going to be increased as a result of you observing Easter? If it isn't, you missed the boat. There is joy in the risen Christ. And that should pervade all of our celebrations. Joy, the fact that Jesus Christ, the one who bore our penalty for sin in his own body on the tree, he was raised from the grave triumphantly. He is alive. Joy should characterize our celebration. Joy in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not joy in the fact that I could go sit on the beach. You understand what I'm saying? If those are the only things you focused on, be careful how you condemn the pagans. Do you feel the joy the disciples felt in the presence of their risen master? That make any difference to you at all? When Jesus Christ arose from the dead, he brought into being a sphere of life that never existed before. A sphere of victory over sin for all those who would trust him. We do not have to be subject to any kind of pagan practices or influences. We can, in fact, turn things which were once used for pagan practices into something for the glory of God. We can do that. But you see, unfortunately, many Christians just accept it and make no changes at all. So when you do eat that hot cross bun, thank God that it indicates for you that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And that you now share that new life in him. They saw and believed. Their faith was increased. And so listen carefully now as we close. There are two extremes. And I'm going to develop this this evening. We're going to be talking about this this evening. There's two extremes for Christians when it comes to Easter. It is way over here. It's all pagan. I'll have nothing to do with it. 
So I'm not even going to go to church on Easter Sunday because that's a pagan celebration. I ain't going to have no lilies. I ain't going to eat no buns. I ain't going to do nothing like that. Way out there. Then you have these on the other side over here. Man, those things don't bother me. I ain't even going to think about that, man. I just going to... I just enjoy life. That's all. I ain't gonna think about these at all. I'm not gonna think about the origin of anything. If they hear in the church, I can do it, man. Not even thinking about it, but because the church did it, th then I'm gonna do it. It's all right. You understand what I'm saying? That's the two extremes. We've got to find the balance, the middle line here. You understand what I'm saying? And tonight we're gonna to try to see how we could come to that balance here. I actually believe it's possible to eat goggle eye and to eat the bun without any conscience that I'm doing anything pagan. I believe that's possible. You see? And so tonight we can how do you do theology? How do you come to that place where you can take things that were once so associated with paganism and turn it around into something that glorifies God? It's possible. But you don't have to make it user-friendly. You don't do it to satisfy the unsaved. You understand what I'm saying? You do it to glorify the risen Christ. Christ is risen. Oh, believe it. Believe it and rejoice in it. And as we approach these days, celebrating that marvelous, that miraculous event, let us do so with joy. And let us have a faith that is vibrant in a risen, glorified, Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.